You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Professor Douglas Allard's 22 minute and 17 second classic armchair audio theatre company presents The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Abridged too far by me, Professor Douglas Allard. Looking for love, not particularly fussy. Good sense of humour and non smoker preferred. The Scarlet Letter is a fascinating book. Wordy, worthy, and occasionally unwieldy, it was one of the first mass-produced books produced en masse in America. And remarkably, it is a work of historical fiction, published in 1850 when there wasn't nearly as much history about as there is today. And even more remarkably, it was set 200 years before that, when there was even less. And whilst there can be no doubt that Nathaniel Hawthorne's remarkable tale of love, piety and slut-shaming is one of the crowning achievements of American literature, the only tiny criticism I would have is that it's almost, but not quite, totally unreadable. 63,604 words long, and most of them are ye, thou, wherefore, whither, herefore, unto, and verily. And it is probably this tendency for rambling prose which is the reason it takes most readers anywhere between kindergarten and twelfth grade to get through it. And which is why my 22 minute and 17 second classic armchair audio theatre company is about to bring you The Scarlet Letter in all its mad Puritan morality busting glory in just 22 minutes and 17 seconds. All you have to do is download Sit back and listen. The book starts with a very long introduction from the author himself. It is a little remarkable that although disinclined to talk over much of myself and my affairs at the fireside and to my personal friends... However, as I'm sure that most readers skip this bit, we'll go straight to the start of the story, which is outside Boston Prison, way, way back in 1642. 
Fine morrow to thee, good mistress's piety and purity. And indeed, prithee, wherefore may happen verily. What a fine New England day hath he granted us to stand on this blessed and hallowed soil, outside yonder dank prison, and scream savage insults at the shameless wanton Hester Prynne. Unchaste woman. In virtuous Jezebel. Indeed, dearest sisters, I do most earnestly believe that the good Lord God, in his infinite mercy, doth desire the wicked horse slut temptress slattern, Hester Prynne, to be stoned with really sharp rocks for her atonement. Well, tis my devout belief that he doth wish for us to poke her trampish eyes out, slice off her sinful nose, push burning coals in her wicked ears, and then throw her down a well. After making her drink poison? And setting her on fire? Obviously, for tis the Lord's will. Amen. The verdict is decreed. Oh, What's it to be? Stoning? Whipping? Branding? All three? Oh, no, no, good gentlewoman. The town worthies under the guidance of the handsome young pastor, Reverend Dimsdale, <gasps> have decreed that the unworthy sinner Hester Prynne True. Tart. Hag. Shall wear on her wicked but comely breast a scarlet letter as a mark of her shame. Is that it? A scarlet letter? Not even a little stony? <gasps> no. Is it the letter S for sinner or slut? No. H for harlot or hussy? No. Not F for f- No! I was going to say floozy. Oh. oh. I thought you was going to say f- No! Tis the scarlet letter A. For antichrist? A- a- antelope? Uh- Armani. Adultery. Oh. Tis a terrible mark of shame she must wear. I still think the Lord would have preferred a stoning. Yeah, at least yeah. stony bitch. Look! Here she comes now. And see, cradled in her arms. Tis a tiny newborn baby girl. Oh. Right, girls. Here we go. Horror! Slut! Burn in hell, bitch! And standing in this angry crowd of righteously enraged New England Puritans is a stranger, newly arrived in town. I pray you, good sir, who is that woman with the baby in her arms and the scarlet letter on her not unattractive bosom being led to the scaffold? Tis the sinful and wicked Hester Prynne. Thou must be a stranger newly arrived in town not to have heard of her dreadful doings. Indeed, I am a stranger, newly arrived in New England from Old England by way of Amsterdam. So, tell me of this Hester Prynne woman. Well... She did engage in wicked sinfulness, which is why she doth wear the scarlet letter hay. For alligator? Adultery. Oh yes, of course. And who may be the father of the babe? Ah, well, that doth be the riddle. No one doth know. Doth they don't? Nay, they doth don't. That doth be a real mystery. Oh. Hearken unto me, Hester Prynne. Hussy! Thou hast been found to be a strumpet in the sight of the good Lord, and prithee truly wherefore therefore thou thee art, and insomuch too as wilt hath thy verily, and unto, and... and... Sorry, what was I saying? I think, Governor, that I was asking her who the sinful father is. Ah, yes. <laughs> Thank you kindly, good and handsome Reverend Dimsdale. Hester Prynne! Expiate the vile blackness of your sin and reveal the name of the wicked and evil man who did doth do the sinful unmentionable with thee. Yes, who was the bad stud? 
but she doth remain silent. Maybe thou wilt reveal the name of the ungodly fornicator to Reverend Dimsdale, the attractive rector who has spent so much time impregnating you with the word of the Lord. God bless Rector Dimsdale. Mm, such a handsome man. Oh yes, and so virile. Mm. Hester Prynne, I do say that you should reveal the name of the man who did do this mischief with you, if you want to. But only if you want to, you don't have to. Oh, well said, sir. So, Hester Prynne, thou shameful hussy, what saith you? I say this! She speaks! The dirty sex minx! What doth she say? I shall not speak. She speaks to say she shall not speak. The brazen trollop! Not one word shall I speak! Beyond the words I now speak to say that I shall not speak! She hath spoke. Not. Slut! Whore! Aardvark! Adulterer! Okay, so that's the first 40 odd pages. Yeah, I know, 40. And you get the idea, don't you? Hester Prynne, who thought her husband was lost at sea, has had a baby, and a stranger calling himself Roger Chillingworth has arrived in town. And, to the surprise of absolutely no one reading the book, he turns out to be... You! My husband, who I thought was lost at sea. Yes, verily, tis I. So you weren't lost at sea? No, I twan't. Where have you been? I have been wandering in the wild wilderness, learning the secret medicines of the native people. And you couldn't have called and let me know this? Woman, tis 1642. Why no, but a parchment would have been nice. But now I doth reach this fair town to see thee, my own wife ascended to thy pedestal of infamy. Don't start talking. Talking like everyone else around here. With yon scarlet letter upon thy shapely bosom. Do you like it? I made it myself. I was talking about the letter. So was I. Oh. Tis a mark of shame, disgrace, and infamy. But well made. I grant thee the stitching's quite nice. But I do ask thee, thou fallen woman, who is the man who did doth do this wickedness with thee? That I cannot tell you. What? Thou dost not knoweth his name? Thou had not been properly introduced? He did keep on his socks? No! Yeah, I mean, I shall not tell you. You will never know his name. Thou thinkst? Well, witch, as there be but four male characters in this tale, and I be one of them, I give thee fair warning. I shall work it out. And so she swears to keep her husband's true identity secret, and he sets to working out who could be the father of his wife's baby. Is it the aged governor? A random Puritan bloke he met in the marketplace. Or the young, sensitive, virile and handsome preacher. It's a real mystery. Then time and lots of barely decipherable pages pass. The future would toll onward, still with the same burden for her to take. On and on about uh, Hester's wickedness. Which the preacher and moralist might point, and in which they might vivify. And, and then there, there's a lot of stuff about her little daughter Pearl. An airy sprite. Invested with a strange remoteness and intangibility who looked like she were hovering in the air. And, and then that. there's a surprising amount about needlework. Her delicate and imaginative skill of which the dames of a court might have gladly availed themselves. But once you've plowed your way through that lot, and trust me, it is a lot, Hester and Little Pearl set off to Governor Bellingham's mansion to deliver a pair of gloves. <laughs> And when they get there, 
they find him with Roger Chillingworth and the Reverend Dimsdale. Ah, pretty tis Hester Prynne, the sinful slut with the scarlet letter of shame on thy pillowy chest. That's me, Governor Bellingham. Indeed, she is a shameless slattern hussy. Well said, Mr. Chillingworth. Good slurring, sir. And you, good Reverend Dimsdale, dost do thee have no saucy ripe insults for the wanton harlot Hester Prynne? Uh, I think she is very wayward in the eyes of the Lord. Is that all? I must say, Governor, that I am taken aback that a man of your standing doth have dealings with this infamous slack trollop. Normally I would shun her as any decent man would shun a verminous street doxy, but she doth make very good gloves. What are these strange men saying about you, Mother? Hush, dear child. And who, withal and wherefore, be this sweet, charming little thing? My name is Pearl, and I am wild and precocious and the daughter of my dear mama. Oh, in that case, then, thee thou doth be a wicked and accused wretch whom Satan will burn in the pits of damnation. Well said, Governor, sir, and I am sure that tis God's will the child be removed from the perfidious custody of the this woman, and raised into an orphaned life of fear, blind obedience, and hypocrisy. No! God gave the child to me. She is mine, and he is just a quack homeopathist. Ooh, harsh. Reverend Dimsdale, won't you speak up on my behalf? Ah, yea, yes, verily may happen all, Reverend Dimsdale. Thou art a handsome man of God. What sayest thee, thou, you... Well, I do say that there is some truth in what Hester Prynne says. Oh, thou doth, doth thou? I do, doth. Verily well and pretty, wherefore art ye yow and yonder, whither and all it... Sorry, where was I? You were about to agree that I can keep my beloved child. Was I? Oh. Very well, then. Bah! I am afforded. And thanks for the gloves. Slut. Preserve us. Who is this? Ah, uh, tis my bitter-tempered sister. <laughs> She's a witch, you know. A witch? Yes, family, huh? Come, gentlemen, let us leave the witch and the wanton alone. Is that wiser? So, wilt thou go with us tonight to make merry with the black man, comely Mistress Prynne? Who is the black man, mother? He is the master of the underworld, child, and he doth sport in the forests around these parts, and would love to partay with a shameless wanton such as your mother be. And he's the black man, is he? Yes. What's wrong with that? I'm just a young yet precocious child, but if you don't know... I don't. So... What say thee, Hester Prynne? I say, I'd love to, but I must be away and carry on with my needlework. (laughs) So, is this black man like a literary device used to explore the themes of morality and guilt? Oh, Lord, how you prattle, child. And so Hester Prynne goes back to her needlework, but does get to keep her daughter. Because back then, Boston was the kind of town which deplored loose morals, but knew a good glove when it saw it. 
and her husband Roger Chillingworth sets to discovering the man who cuckolded him. Ah, good Reverend Dimsday. Mr. Chillingworth. Join me as I collect plants for my medicinal compounds, and we can discourse merrily on the subject of sin, clerical fidelity to God, and the consequences of unexpiated guilt. Ah, do we have to? Why, surely, my good and dear friend. There is no reason why you would not want me to probe into thy dim interior with my premeditated carefulness? Uh, no, I suppose not. For thou hast not any dark disgrace or shame to hide, do you? No, of course not. Marvellous. Then come along and let us discuss how all sinners of the flesh will burn in the fiery pits of hell for all eternity. I speculate. And as more time and overwriting passes, Hester Prynne devotes herself to sewing, being kind to the poor, helpful to the needy, and comforting to the sick and afflicted. Why, good mistresses, purity and piety, there goes that wicked Hester Prynne with the scarlet letter of shame upon her titties. Indeed, and I hear she has the barefaced nerve to tend to the sick and destitute. Tis a disgrace. I do agree with you. Tis the business of us good and Christian women to be good and Christian. Yes. Not some disgraced tart strumpet no. with a scarlet oh. letter of shame on her busty front bumpers. Oh, tis a wonder the good Lord doth allow her to do such evil good deeds. Why, I do believe that he doth do it to test us. Test that we shall not weaken in our righteous anger and mean condemnation of sin. Mistress Charity, I do believe you are right. Hester Prynne's evil goodness is a test of our Puritan resolve. Or something. But we shall not weaken. Indeed, good sisters, we shall not. Hell, hey! She-devil! Slag! And this is the book they teach children in high school? But, whilst the author carries on waffling about God knows what, we'll take a break and hear some more concise words from our sponsors. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Abridged Too Far, The Scarlet Letter. If you were paying attention, or even if you weren't, Hester Prynne, the adulteress, is annoying her Puritan neighbours by being all good and saintly, whilst her sort of ex-husband Roger Chillingworth is being driven increasingly mad by his obsessive need to discover the identity of the man who she slept with. But now, after seven years and many chapters... He has finally narrowed his list of three suspects down to the most blindingly obvious one. And seventeenthly, Reverend Dimsdale, do you not think that all hypocritical sinners shall be cast into the pit of damnation? Possibly, I expect so. But, my dear, good and beloved friend Dimsdale, you are looking pale, drawn, and with ghastly aspect. I do confess, friend Chillingworth, I am not feeling myself. I am sure the Lord is glad for that. But let us stop all this idle talk of God's fury descending mightily on the heads of those who have committed evil and lewd sins of the flesh, and come and sit by the fire. 
I think I shall. Yes, you sleep, dear friend. Whilst I casually rearrange your shirt and... What is this? Burned to thy breast. Tis a letter. Not a scarlet letter, but still a letter. And tis the letter A. Abrasion, affliction, avocado, and... But finally, he works it out. Adultera! And he's meant to be the wise man in the story. Anyway, now he knows that the Reverend Dimsdale is the sinful father of Hester Prynne's precocious daughter, according to Hawthorne... He now dug into the poor clergyman's heart like a miner searching for gold, or rather... Of course, he doesn't tell us exactly what he does, but believe me, whatever it is, it's very effective. Because eventually it turns Dimsdale into a total nervous wreck. Until one night... Forgive me, Lord! Look, Mother, standing over there on the scaffold oh, where the sinful people stand, tis the good Reverend Dimsdale, crying out in torment in the moonlight as if he is beset by the inner demons that don't want him. Why do you say all this, Pearl? I think it is a narrative construct to paint the scene in the mind of the audience. Hester Prynne, is that thou for with and wherefore thou art all and here and wherewithal and ought and everything? What is he saying, Mother? I fear he has suffered the fate of all pious men in this town and become madly overwritten. Come thee thou hither and yonder, O fallen female, and mount ye thee with all and wherefore ascending upward to the scaffold, thy pedestal of shame, and stand herewith with me. What is he saying? I think he wants us to climb up there with him. Then why doesn't he just say so? <laughs> Dream on. You, thee, and thou hast his had been stood a-standing hither, Hester, afore pre thee when I stood not with ye at that time whence I was stood a-standing here. Is there nothing we can do to make him speak properly? I fear not, child. <gasps> Look ye! Hither and yonder, up at the sky, do you see? Up there above, a meteor! And now the stars do make a giant letter A! For asteroid? See thee? Uh, not really. That that looks a bit kind of oh. like a plow. Or... Oh, yeah, I see. Or like a big dipper. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> oh, I'll explain later. But, you oh, know, May! I'm sure you see a Tis my mark of shame, an infinite poisonous tooth of blackness, Grace, writ large in the night sky. If you say so. Mother, it is almost like he's using the meteor as a sign of divine wrathful judgment. Pretty wherefore and truly, she's very precocious, isn't she? You get used to it. But I have a great fearful horror of mind, and tis my so-called friend, Roger Chillingworth, that doth make my soul shiver in ways which are terrible, but never properly explained. Pious Master Dimsdale! Ah! Chillingworth! Can this be you, standing on the scaffold of shame with the wanton Hester Prynne? Yes, I think it is a sort of symbolic vigil to atone for his inner feelings of- Be quiet, precocious child. And you, good master, let me lead you home and away from this wicked wanton woman. Oh, charming. Yea, they, though thee do doth maketh my anguish great, and yet ye yonder- Yes, 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 come on. I think thou's had enough shriving for one night. Let me get thee home and thou canst sleep. What is there to be done, mother? I don't know, child. But you are like the dynamic protagonist who can affect the arc and uh, provide salvation. Why are you so precocious? I'm just saying. 
And, annoyingly precocious as she is for a seven-year-old, young Pearl does have a point, and so Hester determines to save Reverend Dimsdale from Satan's eternal damnation and the author's interminable dialogue by waylaying Roger Chillingworth in the forest where he is gathering medicinal herbs. Mr. Chillingworth, a word with you, please. Ah, forsooth and verily, tis Mistress Hester Prynne, with yon scarlet mark of disgrace a gleam upon thy alluring breasticles. What withal and wherefore may I stay be doth doing thee thus and then? Oh, just talk properly. Very well. What do you want? I want you to stop being so mean to Reverend Dimsdale. But what am I doing to him? I don't know exactly. It's not really explained. But I wish you'd stop. Dimsdale's a false priest. A sinner and a fraud and a hypocrite. Oh, right. So he's not perfect. But can't you move on? He wronged me when he lay with my wife. You are so old-fashioned. Of course I am, woman. It's 1649. Fair point. And I will not stop with my cruel but undefined tormenting of the priest until he is destroyed. My daughter, Pearl, would probably say that you're a Excessive thirst for vengeance will destroy you, too. And she's only seven. She's so precocious, isn't she? Oh, tell me about it. So, seeing that she isn't going to get Chillingworth to stop doing whatever it is that he's doing, Hester takes Pearl for another walk into the forest. Look, Mother, it is the politically incorrect black man that the old witchy woman was talking about seven years ago when I was just a baby. You remember that? I'm precocious. I can't help it. Anyway, it's not the black man. It's the Reverend Dimsdale wearing a black coat. Oh, yes. But do you think the fact that I thought he was might be symbolic? Just sit here, child. While I go and sit with him. Sit with him? Yes. I'm just going to... Oh, look. Just wait here. Very well, Mother. So, after seven years of wearing the scarlet letter of shame... Hester Prynne finally meets and talks with Reverend Dimsdale. Hester Prynne? Be thou thee verily herewith? Hush, Arthur. But I am doth so most miserable ere long. An overwritten wretch in spiritual tormentitude with polluted soul and agony of heart, as wilt one wherefore with all and all and on and on. Huh? You can speak normally with me. Can I? I'd rather you did. Because I have to tell you about your friend, Roger Chillingworth. What about him? First, he's not your friend. Oh, and second? He used to be mine. What? But I never really liked him. I always liked you. Did you? Of course. I mean, we, you you know, you haven't forgotten, have you? No, of course not. Can you forgive me? Yes, can you forgive me? Verily, with wherefore and... And so they sit... And hold hands. But nothing else. And Hester takes off the scarlet letter. But nothing else. But Pearl makes her put it back on again. And Hester Prynne and the Reverend Dimsdale make plans together. Good morrow, mistresses. What a fine day hath the Lord sent us for this, the town's public holiday. Look, good sisters, over yonder is a young man, and he hath a fife. Or small piccolo. Ooh, do you think he will play it? So that the townsfolk may jig and caper to his gay tunes? I do believe he will. Well, the Lord will want us to put a stop to that devil's hokum. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, well, can we hit him with big sticks? Oh, oh, yes, the Lord would want that. Oh. <laughs> Come on, girls. Satan's jester. Ungodly troubadour. bastard. Get Oh, my fight! Or small piccolo! So, mother.
Mother, why are all the townsfolk out on the streets today? You do not know, young Pearl? Of course I know. I'm asking you as an expositional device. Oh, in that case, it is the town's annual holiday, and folk are here to listen to Reverend Dimsdale give his grand sermon. Thank you. That wasn't so difficult, was it? Oh, ah, good day, mistress. Good day, rough shipmaster. Just wanted to be telling you that the berth you booked aboard me ship bound for Old England be a ready for ye. Are we taking a journey, Mother? Yes, dear Pearl. Reverend Dimsdale and I are leaving to make a new life together with you in Old England. I knew that. And we got another passenger and all. Some miserable bugger named Chillingworth is a coming along too. What? What? Well, at least I think he is. It's so difficult to make out what folk are talking about round here. Will we never be free of this pernicious old devil? Probably not. It's like his influence is inextricably mingled with your narrative. Oh, do be quiet. Hush now, thou wicked floozy with that scarlet letter of shame still ablazing on thy fetching behoobies. For the good, pure, and most reverend Dimsdale is about to start his sermon. And he starts. Although for some reason, Hawthorne doesn't tell us what he actually says. Although apparently it is very good. And when it's over, Dimsdale processes through the crowd until he gets to the scaffold. Hester Prynne, come hither. Come and join me on the scaffold of shame. I will come. What's going on? And bring forth my precocious little pearl. As a symbol of the innocent purity of your love? Sure. But what, wherefore, with all and privy? We are coming. You can't do this. She is doing it. The strumpet. Slapper. Listen to me. This woman has worn the scarlet letter for seven years. On her charming chesty bits. And quite right, too. The slattern. Pox cow. But look. And with this, he rips open his shirt. I didn't see that coming. And reveals... Here's a letter. Branded on his attractive chest. Tis the letter A. For allegory? Alliteration? Adulterer! No! Yes, t'was me. I, Hester Prynne, was my girlfriend. Oh, Arthur. And precocious Pearl is my daughter. Father, but now, now we can be together until death do us... Ow! Oh, bugger. And Dimsdale dies in Hester's arms. Then Chillingworth, not having anyone to indefinably torment, he dies too. Alas! Leaves his money to Pearl, who goes to Europe with her mother and makes a good marriage. Then Hester returns back to New England and lives in a hut until she dies. And is buried next to Dimsdale. And that's it. The cheery little tale of the Scarlet Letter. In just 22 minutes and 17 seconds. Thanks for listening. The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne was abridged too far by me, Professor Douglas Allard, with some help from David Spicer. The voices you heard were Barbara Barnes, Joanna Brooks, Charlotte McBurney, Alan Marriott, Shai Matheson, and David Menkin. The audio production was by John Schwab. It was directed by John Schwab and David Spicer and was a Broadway Podcast Network production.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.